Chapter Fifty Eight of Ten Years Later. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eden Ray Hedrick. Ten Years Later by Alexandre Dumas. Chapter Fifty Eight Royal Psychology. The king returned to his apartment with hurried steps. The reason he walked as fast as he did was probably to avoid tottering in his gait. He seemed to leave behind him as he went along a trace of a mysterious sorrow. That gaiety of manner which everyone had remarked in him on his arrival, and which they had been delighted to perceive, had not, perhaps, been understood in its true sense, but his stormy departure, his disordered countenance, all knew, or at least thought they could tell the reason of. Madame's levity of manner, her somewhat bitter jests, bitter for persons of a sensitive disposition, and particularly for one of the king's character, the great resemblance which naturally existed between the king and an ordinary mortal, were among the reasons assigned for the precipitate and unexpected departure of his majesty. Madame, keen-sighted enough in other respects, did not, however, at first see anything extraordinary in it. It was quite sufficient for her to have inflicted some slight wound upon the vanity or self-esteem of one who, so soon forgetting the engagements he had contracted, seemed to have undertaken to disdain, without cause, the noblest and highest prize in France. It was not an unimportant matter for Madame, in the present position of affairs, to let the king perceive the difference which existed between the bestowal of his affections on one in a high station, and the running after each passing fancy, like a youth fresh from the provinces. With regard to those higher-placed affections, recognizing their dignity and their illimitable influence, acknowledging in them a certain etiquette and display, a monarch not only did not act in a manner derogatory to his high position, but found even repose, security, mystery, and general respect therein. On the contrary, in the debasement of a common or humble attachment, he would encounter, even among his meanest subjects, carping and sarcastic remarks. He would forfeit his character of infallibility and inviolability. Having descended to the region of petty human miseries, he would be subjected to paltry contentions. In one word, to convert the royal divinity into a mere mortal, by striking at his heart, or rather even at his face, like the meanest of his subjects, was to inflict a terrible blow upon the pride of that generous nature. Louis was more easily captivated by vanity than by affection. Madame had wisely calculated her vengeance, and it has been seen, also, in what manner she carried it out. Let it not be supposed, however, that Madame possessed such terrible passions as the heroines of the Middle Ages, or that she regarded things from a pessimistic point of view. On the contrary, Madame, young, amiable, of cultivated intellect, coquettish, loving in her nature, but rather from fancy, or imagination, or ambition than from her heart. Madame, we say, on the contrary, inaugurated that epoch of light and fleeting amusements, which distinguished the hundred and twenty years that intervened between the middle of the seventeenth century and the last quarter of the eighteenth. Madame saw, therefore, or rather fancied she saw, things under their true aspect. She knew that the king, her august brother-in-law, had been the first to ridicule the humble La Vallière, and that, in accordance with his usual custom, it was hardly probable that he would ever love the person who had excited his laughter, even had it been only for a moment. Moreover, 
was not her vanity ever present that evil influence which plays so important a part in that comedy of dramatic incidents called the life of a woman did not her vanity tell her aloud in a subdued voice in a whisper in every variety of tone that she could not in reality she a princess young beautiful and rich be compared to the poor la valliere as youthful as herself in truth but far less pretty certainly and utterly without money protectors or position and surprise need not be excited with respect to madame for it is known that the greatest characters are those who flatter themselves the most in the comparisons they draw between themselves and others between others and themselves it may perhaps be asked what was madame's motive for an attack so skilfully conceived and executed why was there such a display of forces if it was not seriously her intention to dislodge the king from a heart that had never been occupied before in which he seemed disposed to take refuge was there any necessity then for madame to attach so great an importance to la valliere if she did not fear her yet madame did not fear la valliere in that direction in which a historian who knows everything sees into the future or rather the past madame was neither a prophetess nor a sibyl nor could she any more than another read what was written in that terrible and fatal book of the future which records in its most secret pages the most serious events no madame desired simply to punish the king for having availed himself of secret means altogether feminine in their nature she wished to prove to him that if he made use of offensive weapons of that nature she a woman of ready wit and high descent would assuredly discover in the arsenal of her imagination defensive weapons proof even against the thrusts of a monarch moreover she wished him to learn that in a war of that description kings are held no account or at all events that kings who fight on their own behalf like ordinary individuals may witness the fall of their crown in the first encounter and that in fact if he had expected to be adored by all the ladies of the court from the very first from a confidential reliance on his mere appearance it was a pretension which was most preposterous and insulting even for certain persons who filled a higher position than others and that a lesson taught in season to this royal personage who assumed too high and haughty a carriage would be rendering him a great service such indeed were madame's reflections with respect to the king the sequel itself was not thought of and in this manner it will be seen that she had exercised all her influence over the minds of her maids of honour and with all its accompanying details had arranged the comedy which had just been acted the king was completely bewildered by it for the first time since he had escaped from the trammels of Monsieur de Mazarin, he found himself treated as a man. Similar severity for many of his subjects would have been at once resisted by him. Strength comes with battle. But to match oneself with women, to be attacked by them, or to have been imposed upon by mere girls from the country, who have come from Blois expressly for that purpose, it was the depth of dishonour for a young sovereign, full of the pride his personal advantages and royal power inspired him with. There was nothing he could do, neither reproaches nor exile nor could he even show the annoyance he felt to manifest vexation would have been to admit that he had been touched like hamlet by a sword from which the button had been removed the sword of ridicule to show animosity against women humiliation especially when the women in question have laughter on their side as a means of vengeance if instead of leaving all the responsibility of the affair to these women one of the courtiers had had anything to do with the intrigue how delightedly would Louis have turned the Bastille to personal account! But there, again, the king's anger paused, checked by reason. To be the master of armies, of prisons, of an almost divine authority, and to exert such majesty and might in the service of a petty grudge, would be unworthy not only of a monarch, but even of a man. 
it was necessary therefore simply to swallow the affront in silence and to wear his usual gentleness and graciousness of expression it was essential to treat madame as a friend as a friend well and why not either madame had been the instigator of the affair or the affair itself had found her passive if she had been the instigator of it it certainly was a bold measure on her part but at all events it was but natural in her who was it that had sought her in the earliest moments of her married life to whisper words of love in her ear who was it that had dared to calculate the possibility of committing a crime against the marriage vow a crime too still more deplorable on account of the relationship between them who was it that shielded behind his royal authority had said to this young creature be not afraid love but the king of france who is above all and a movement of whose sceptred hand will protect you against all attacks even from your own remorse and she had listened to and obeyed the royal voice had been influenced by his ensnaring tones and when morally speaking she had sacrificed her honour in listening to him she saw herself repaid for her sacrifice by an infidelity the more humiliating since it was occasioned by a woman far beneath her in the world had madame therefore been the instigator of the revenge she would have been right if on the contrary she had remained passive in the whole affair what grounds had the king to be angry with her on that account was it for her to restrain or rather could she restrain the chattering of a few country girls and was it for her by an excess of zeal that might have been misinterpreted to check at the risk of increasing it the impertinence of their conduct all these various reasonings were like so many actual stings to the king's pride but when he had carefully in his own mind gone over all the various causes of the complaint louis was surprised upon due reflection in other words after the wound had been dressed to find that there were other causes of suffering secret unendurable and unrevealed there was one circumstance he dared not confess even to himself namely that the acute pain from which he was suffering had its seat in his heart the fact is he had permitted his heart to be gratified by la valliere's innocent confusion he had dreamed of a pure affection of an affection for louis the man and not the sovereign of an affection free from all self-interest and his heart simpler and more youthful than he had imagined it to be had to meet that other heart that had revealed itself to him by its aspirations the commonest thing in the complicated history of love is the double inoculation of love to which any two hearts are subjected the one loves nearly always before the other in the same way that the latter finishes nearly always by loving after the other in this way the electric current is established in proportion to the intensity of the passion which is first kindled the more mademoiselle de la valliere showed her affection the more the king's affection had increased and it was precisely that which had annoyed his majesty for it was now fairly demonstrated to him that no sympathetic current had been the means of hurrying his heart away in its course because there had been no confession of love in the case because the confession was in fact an insult towards the man and towards the sovereign and finally because and the word too burnt like a hot iron because in fact it was nothing but a mystification after all this girl therefore who in strictness could not lay any claim to beauty or birth or great intelligence who had been selected by madame herself on account of her unpretending disposition had not only aroused the king's regard but had moreover treated him with disdain he the king a man who like an eastern potentate had but to bestow a glance to indicate with his finger to throw his handkerchief since the previous evening his imagination had been occupied by clothing her image with charms to which she could not lay claim in very truth he whom such vast interests summoned 
and whom so many women smiled upon invitingly, had, since the previous evening, consecrated every moment of his time, every throb of his heart, to this sole dream. It was, indeed, either too much, or not sufficient. The indignation of the king, making him forget everything, and, among others, that Saint-Aignan was present, was poured out in the most violent imprecations. True it is, that Saint-Aignan had taken refuge in a corner of the room, and, from his corner, regarded the tempest passing over. His own personal disappointment seemed contemptible, in comparison with the anger of the king. He compared with his own petty vanity the prodigious pride of offended majesty, and, being well read in the hearts of kings in general, and in those of powerful kings in particular, he began to ask himself if this weight of anger, as yet held in suspense, would not soon terminate by falling upon his own head, for the very reason that others were guilty and he innocent. In point of fact, the king, all at once, did arrest his hurried pace, and, fixing a look full of anger upon Saint-Aignan, suddenly cried out, "'And you, Saint-Aignan?' Saint-Aignan made a sign which was intended to signify, "'Well, sire?' "'Yes, you have been as silly as myself, I think.' "'Sire,' stammered out Saint-Aignan, "'you have permitted us to be deceived by this shameless trick.' "'Sire,' said Saint-Aignan, whose agitation was such as to make him tremble in every limb. Let me entreat your majesty not to exasperate yourself. Women, you know, are characters full of imperfections, created for the misfortune of mankind. To expect anything good from them is to require them to perform impossibilities. The king, who had the greatest consideration for himself, and who had begun to acquire over his emotions that command which he preserved over them all his life, perceived that he was doing an outrage to his own dignity in displaying such animosity about so trifling an object. "'No,' he said hastily, "'you are mistaken, Saint-Aignan. I am not angry. I can only wonder that we should have been turned into ridicule so cleverly, and with such audacity by these young girls. I am particularly surprised that, although we might have informed ourselves accurately on the subject, we were silly enough to leave the matter for our own hearts to decide.' the heart sire is an organ which requires positively to be reduced to its material functions but which for the sake of humanity's peace of mind should be deprived of all its metaphysical inclinations for my own part i confess when i saw that your majesty's heart was so taken up by this little my heart taken up my mind might perhaps have been so but as for my heart it was Louis again perceived that, in order to fill one gulf, he was about to dig another. Besides, he added, I have no fault to find with the girl. I am aware that she is in love with someone else. The Vicomte de Bragelonne. I informed your majesty of the circumstance. You did so, but you were not the first who told me. The Comte de la Fere had solicited for me Mademoiselle de la Vallière's hand for his son, and on his returning from England the marriage shall be celebrated, since they love each other. I recognize your majesty's great generosity of disposition in that act. So, Saint-Aignan, we will cease to occupy ourselves with these matters any longer, said Louis. Yes, we will digest the affront, sire, replied the courtier with resignation. Besides, it will be an easy matter to do so, said the king, checking a sigh. And, by way of a beginning, I will set about the composition of an epigram upon all three of them. I will call it the Naiad and the Dryad, which will please Madame. 
do so saint do so said the king indifferently you shall read me your verses they will amuse me ah it does not signify saint added the king like a man breathing with difficulty the blow requires more than human strength to support it in a dignified manner as the king thus spoke assuming an air of most angelic patience one of the servants in attendance knocked gently at the door saint drew aside out of respect come in said the king the servant partially opened the door what is it inquired louis the servant held out a letter of a triangular shape for your majesty he said from whom i do not know one of the officers on duty gave it to me the valet in obedience to a gesture of the king handed him the letter the king advanced towards the candles opened the note read the signature and uttered a loud cry saint was sufficiently respectful not to look on but without looking on he saw and heard all and ran towards the king who with a gesture dismissed the servant oh heavens said the king as he read the note is your majesty unwell inquired saint stretching forth his arms no no saint read and he handed him the note saint eyes fell upon the signature la Vallière, he exclaimed oh sire read read and saint read forgive my importunity sire and to forgive also the absence of the formalities which may be wanting in this letter a note seems to be more speedy and more urgent than a dispatch i venture therefore to address this note to your majesty i have retired to my own room overcome with grief and fatigue sire and i implore your majesty to grant me the favour of an audience which will enable me to confess the truth to my sovereign louise de la Vallière. well asked the king taking the letter from saint hands who was completely bewildered by what he had just read well repeated saint what do you think of it i hardly know still what is your opinion sire the young lady must have heard the muttering of the thunder and has got frightened frightened at what asked louis with dignity why your majesty has a thousand reasons to be angry with the author or authors of so hazardous a joke and if your majesty's memory were to be awakened in a disagreeable sense it would be a perpetual menace hanging over the head of this imprudent girl saint i do not think as you do your majesty doubtless sees more clearly than myself well i see affliction and restraint in these lines more particularly since i recall some of the details of the scene which took place this evening in madame's apartments the king suddenly stopped leaving his meaning unexpressed in fact resumed saint your majesty will grant an audience nothing is clearer than that i will do better saint what is that sire put on your cloak but sire you know the suite of rooms where madame's maids of honor are lodged certainly you know some means of obtaining an entrance there as far as that is concerned i do not at all events you must be acquainted with someone there really your majesty is the source of every good idea you do know someone then who is it i know a certain gentleman who is on very good terms with a certain young lady there one of the maids of honor yes sire with mademoiselle de tonnay charente i suppose said the king laughing fortunately no sire with montalais what is his name malicorne and you can depend on him i believe so sire 
he ought to have a key of some sort in his possession and if he should happen to have one as i have done him a service why he will let us have it nothing could be better let us set off immediately the king threw his cloak over saint shoulders asked him for his and both went out into the vestibule End of chapter 58